Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's. Sorry this is late. I fully intended to get this out in December, but uh, the reality is the schedule just didn't work out. I had somebody lined up and then uh, our schedules didn't mesh, so I finally pulled in the B team uh, with uh, Brad and Baron. See, it's just a joke on their name starting with B. It has nothing to do with them being second string. Uh, but we came together uh, one Sunday night. I think it was right before Christmas and uh, chatted about the uh, the Valor and uh, some things we've seen in Ukraine. Just kind of just get together, have a little chat, and uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy that and maybe get something out of it. Now, I will preface that by saying there there is zero science here, okay? This is not uh, three guys who've studied intimately the details of tilt rotor and uh, coaxial aircraft and all that stuff. This is just uh, three helicopter bubbles just kind of having a chat, talking about what we think and, and uh, what we've experienced and Sort of uh, juxtaposing all the the stuff that we're seeing against what we've seen in our careers in our past, and uh, yeah, just just a little bit of a chat. Hey, before we get into it though, I do want to say thank you to everyone who continues to support the show and listen to the show, and uh, for those who supported the recent charity event we did, it's called Frank's Giving. Uh, I didn't talk about it too much here on the show just because I'm lazy and I sometimes forget things, but uh, uh, we did do a charity event uh, leading up to Christmas. Uh, in honor of a good friend of mine, Frank Bonacati, who died uh, many years ago in a midair collision, along with three other Army pilots. Uh, but we uh, do this charity. Uh, we've done it two years ago. We did it this year. But we raised $6,400, a little over $6,400 uh, for cancer research and treatment. And I uh, really appreciate everyone who participated in that. And uh, we'll, we'll see about doing it again next year, just kind of schedule dependent on uh, on how we can do that. But, but thank you all for uh, supporting that as you have. Anyway, we'll go ahead and roll into the interview. Again, more of a just fireside chat than anything else, but hopefully you guys enjoy it, and I appreciate you listening. We're one one flasher zero two to the southeast. Southeast, there's one more mover bounding from position to position. He's now stationary. We're talking about uh, the Valor and the choice that the Army has made. So tilt rotor versus... Uh, what are they? What are they Co- coaxial? Is that yeah? Is that right? Coaxial. Yeah, coax. yeah. What I mean, I. What is the purpose? Like, what what is the difference between the two, and why why are these two up for grabs versus just a normal helicopter? Um, Speed. For yeah. one. So, studies going back, I don't know, about ten years or so back, uh, right around the turn of the last decade, two thousand eleven. 2012 <clears throat> they were looking at replacing the kw and they were doing the armed aerial scout studies and determined that there was a whole bunch of emerging requirements emerging gaps in terms of battlefield movement where the army was recognizing that uh coin isn't going to be everything that we ever do and realizing you know it's going to take a while to um get back the development chops that we 
gave up to spend money on just keeping the existing fleet alive to fight ISIS. Well, and before ISIS. Um, and it was going to be another 10, 15 years before they could get back. You know, Comanche had been canceled 10 years prior. And all that stuff takes 10 or 15 years. So they were like, well, what do we need to do in 2025 and beyond? And the I think the number one, well, one of the big items was we got to be able to cross a division battle space expeditiously, which nothing currently can do. So that's I think that's where the requirement came from. Like you got to be able to move quickly to cross 300 kilometers on a bag of gas. So it's not speed for the sake of speed. It's speed for the sake of distance. Yeah. Um, it's not to get, it's not to answer a 911 call. Like, yeah. hey, we're in trouble. Come get here as quickly as you can. It's speed for the sake of survivability and um, the legs. So to be able to cross distance. And then they're also, you know, they were looking at the new emergent theaters, particularly Paycom, I think, where you're island hopping and your distances are not the 50 or 80 Ks that you would have in the northeastern plains of Europe. Now you're talking about hundreds of kilometers of battle space that you have to worry about when you're changing theaters into the Southeast Asia theater and crossing vast distances. So I think all those factors played into, we need something that can cover distance on a bag of gas. And so you got to do that with speed. You know, that kind of just put the light bulb, had a little light bulb moment with that. Cause I've been thinking this in context of like, you know, going out and placing dudes where you need them to your advantage and all that kind of stuff. But really it's more of a logistics kind of a, a mindset. Um, you know, I need to get these supplies from the safe area to the not safe area as quickly as I can, that would allow me to do that. And dudes, yeah. reinforcements, you know, stuff like that. It can be. Well, I, I go back to thinking about when I was at JRTC and uh, we we would talk about distance and, you know, as you look at uh, precision long-range fires, where do you put yourself on the battlefield if you're not a frontline unit? which aviation is not right. It's not in the sense that you don't, you don't camp out on the front line, right? You, you operate there, but that's not what you're hanging out. So where do you hang out that is safe in a situation where you do have long range precision, precision level, you know, capability to reach out and touch them. So when you look at a map and you look at Fort Polk, well, where would the aviation be located that's operating at Fort Polk? Well, maybe it's as far away as Houston. Yep. Well, that's, it, that's, that's a, exactly it. Yeah. And that's a problem if you can only go, you know, 140 knots or, or whatever. So, so yeah. So, but, but to Brad, you, to your comment that as well, I mean, obviously speed for logistics is going to be super helpful. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot of different things. Well, so I think they factored in, like you bring up a great point. They factored in the capabilities of the enemy like they've been watching us for the last 20 years right china and yeah. russia and they've been analyzing how we do business and while we've been engaged fighting um the taliban and isis and etc cetera, etc cetera, they have been developing their capabilities for the last 20 years no joke while we have kind of sort of stagnated yeah. um and the threat that has been assessed is that 
they have overmatch from the medium to long range fire. So when you're talking about where does aviation operate from, you know, we, we have always been behind the flight. So it may be a 15 minute flight or a 20 minute flight or whatever. Well, that right. used to equate to about 30, 40 Ks maybe. Well, they can easily range us with the capabilities they have today. Uh, so aviation as a high value asset needs to be placed further back. And that's one of the factors that fed into this capability gap that led to the requirement to, that led to the Defiant and the Valor. It needs to be able to go far and fast because we have to place these high value assets hundreds of kilometers behind the forward line so that they yeah. can move back and forth and be survivable or, you know, quote unquote safe from the capability that the enemy brings to the table nowadays, which is they, they have better long range fires at this point than we do. Yeah. And, and I don't even think it's a matter of like, it has to be that much better. Right. So I remember again, a JRTC story. We, uh, I don't remember what unit it was. I, it, it doesn't matter, but they did this mass insertion. I don't remember if it's an air assault or, or, or a, a pair drop or whatever, but they got bogged down because of where they were, right? Just vehicles that were out there got stuck in the mud. They were just stuck there for a really long time. This was around the same time. This was early 2020. This was around the same time with the whole Iran ballistic missile, you know, hitting Al-Assad, which is not a small place. But at the same time, if you take the footprint of a brigade out in the wild, you know, it's it's a pretty good sized footprint. So it doesn't take much to put something in that situation. Uh, but yeah, so you got to have that distance and it doesn't take a whole lot these days to reach that distance. Uh, and you don't have to be super precise. You just have to be, you know, in the ballpark to, to cause damage. And, and that's not even talking about if you put, you know, chemical weapons or something like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, because Russia's figuring that out pretty hard, right? Um, what's that one air base that keeps getting hammered uh, pretty regularly? And everyone keeps laughing about it. But I mean, right. You know, makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'll be honest, I've not followed the development story of the, the Valor and the Defiant, which I hate both of those names. It's like the Army's trying to buy uh, essential oils or something. But <laughs> two two very different systems, like we said, the coaxial and the tilt rotor. Um, I have my own feelings, but I want to hear your guys' feelings. I mean, if you had to be a betting man, not really following anything, but just looking at it from the outside, which which would you have probably thought the Army was going to go with? Brad, what do you think? I would have thought they were going to go with the um, the coaxial pusher, to be absolutely honest with you. Uh, really? Why just because that? that's like... Well, because to me, when, when we... Like the buzzword, transformational technologies, right? Like... That's that's about as transformational as it gets, right? Um, rigid rotors, coaxial system has the pusher prop, um, a very like a, a drivetrain that's that's got extreme commonality, you know, can be shrunk, made bigger, whatever, um, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's kind of like the whole package deal. All right, Baron, what about you? So, on first blush, I I would have picked just with. Very little thought I would have picked the, the coax, the Defiant, as well. But on thinking about it further, and you know now thinking about why did the Army pick the one that they did pick, um, I, 
it it kind of makes sense because uh to brad's point transformational technology what do you get when you try to make a big leap you get a lot of risk yeah. so i'm sure that sikorsky has been doing like you know they're the they're the tesla and the spacex of the helicopter world right they're trying to do these phenomenal new technological leaps and by the way we've tried this rigid rotor system uh pusher prop concept before right way back in yep. i don't know when it was 67 <laughs> um with the cheyenne and that made it to a certain point and then it didn't pan out um back then as i understand it there were a lot of uh problems in terms of like enabling technologies like metallurgy and the electronics to to do vibration dampening and then the fire control systems and all these other things like it was just a leap too far 50 years ago well here yeah. we are again trying to do it again um and i i would suspect that there are still some challenges in terms of um mitigating all the uh like things that have to work 99.9 percent .9 of the time with very little risk involved and i think what the army probably did was they looked at well what did bell do number one they flew a lot more hours on their demonstrator so as i understand yeah. it and i don't have like firsthand information but the valor has been flying the defiant yeah. has flown too um but not nearly the to the same amount of hours that the valor like bell has a product that is on the street that has been flying and it showed the army look this is what we can do it's here it's real we've done this and right. i suspect that the army looked at the other offering and said um, well it's still kind of in development and there's an element of risk involved and what is what does risk mean it means money and time and slipping schedules etc yeah. i mean this thing is still going to be 10 years away what they've made a decision but um it you're not going to see these things for you know at least another i think they're forecasting that they're going to start low rate production in 28 which is pretty quick you know that's only f 5 years away but um it'll be 10 years before you see them in any numbers and had they gone with the defiant i think they probably were looking at it like well what's the best what's the best bang for the buck that we can get out of the money we're spending today and tilt rotor is a proven technology the osprey is pretty damn good and bell proved that they can do it so that's you know it boils down to dollars and cents sometimes well that kind of harkens back to the comanche right so the stories that I've heard was that it was just always behind schedule. It was always over budget. And finally somebody just said, okay, enough. Like it's, it's not hitting the milestones that we need. And then yeah, I've, I've heard similar things with the defiant. I don't know if that's true or not. I think for the Comanche in particular, it was always, uh, you remember that Pentagon Wars movie, right? Where yeah. somebody said, Hey, you know, can you, can you put a porthole on it? <laughs> right. Um, and that that happens with Comanche, so mission creep or requirements creep, um, and then lo and behold, you know the Soviet Union as we knew it back in the day went away in the in ninety one, and what was the Comanche designed to do? It was to it was designed to defeat the Soviet Union, and ten right. years later there wasn't one, so you're still spending fourteen billion dollars to develop that program, and what are we what are we doing in 2002 we're going to war against 
you know, Iraq and T-55s and dudes with RPGs. And then eventually that morphed into the coin years. So yeah. where, where is the, where is the problem that Comanche was solving for the amount of money that they were spending back then? So, right. You know, I, I bet you the aren't, you know, we all wish that Comanche was around today because, right. uh, you know, hindsight's 2020 and, you know, we go through these cycles and w the lesson learned is like, yeah, we, we can push this rock further down the road, but we're going to need that rock eventually. So yeah. here we are today, it's reinventing true. the rock again. <laughs> Curious how the training part will go to. I would imagine the coaxial pusher would be a lot easier to train than the tilt rotor. It has its unique things to it. <laughs> I bet you they're looking at, like, they're just doing that all in software. Like, you know, it, you probably don't even have to fly it. I would, I would guess. Like, all you're doing is uh, you're not actually commanding the aircraft to go play you're just pushing the direction you want to go like if you want to go up you yeah. push a thing that says up and it figures out how to do up like you're not actually coordinating head arms and feet and you know your left arms the collective and your right arms the cyclic and your feet are having to do pedal stuff like i suspect it's so sophisticated now that you just dial in a little button that says go forward and the aircraft goes forward. And I think somebody yeah. said that they're doing it autonomous now, right? Like you can just put it on cruise control and the thing flies for you. Yeah. It's yeah, like crew it's optional. Yeah. yeah. Autonomy demo, like 19 or something. I think I can't remember. Well, they had that K max thing too. Yeah. That was crew optional. I remember seeing that at Benning and I even saw one up in New Jersey a couple, about a year ago. Um, I guess I look at it. I I'm curious, like from the maintenance standpoint, and and maybe I'm just biased because I just like normal looking helicopters. But I look at both of these designs, and I think of it like, how much more maintenance is this going to be? Because it's just more moving parts, right? Which a helicopter in and of itself is already a ton of moving parts close, you know, in close proximity. But now, with silt rotors, and of course that was a trial by fire, getting the Osprey going, which um, it, it, it's gotten better obviously, and it's more reliable, but it's still just a, a, a lot of moving parts, uh, complexity. And then you've got the coaxial, which seems like it's come to its own problems. I'm just, I don't know. It just seems strange. Like what, uh, what did the coaxial speeds do? Do you guys know like off the top of your heads or I think it was pushing two fifty to really? Yeah. I think the um, hold on a second. I think the requirement was 250 uh, or 220. Like it, it has come down over time because yeah. uh, the army said we want to go 600 miles an hour, and then you know five years later, industry says, yeah. well, we can't do 600 miles an hour. So, oh well, we want to do 300 miles an hour, you know, and that's kind of how it works. Um, yeah. I don't think the coax is as, I mean, yeah, it's not as fast as the Valor is. Right. Because it's because I mean, a Valor essentially just turns into an airplane. I mean, it, you're not going to beat airplane speeds. Yeah. But you asked oh. like, you know, gut reaction, like if you were to pick one, which one would you pick? I think 
I think we're all on the same sheet of music. Like we're all picking the one that looks most like a helicopter. Right. <laughs> Gut reaction. <True>. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and for me, that reason was because I know how helicopters work, and I can imagine doing right. army style flying. And for for instance, like an assault aircraft, right? Which is in the name, the future long range assault aircraft. Like right. you got to get from A to B, and when you're at B, uh, which we'll call the X. It might be a hot, it might be cold, you don't know, but it's fairly aggressive, right? You're in a, most likely in a threat environment where you have to be, uh, you're not doing 300 knots anymore. Now you're doing 50 or 80 knots before you land to insert your troops or right. drop off your, um, your sling loaded howitzer or Humvee or whatever it is. And you have to do an aggressive maneuver at the, at the end to get into yeah. that confined area, to get into that high threat environment. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm speaking for you guys, but from what we've seen of the Osprey, like it takes a while to transition from being a fixed wing to a helicopter in the traditional yep. sense. And my uneducated sort of, man on the street impression of that is that a tilt rotor doesn't do army stall flying all that well but i, yeah. I fall back to i think there's smart people working on this problem and they and they have the answers like the yeah. arm there's there's guys that are looking at this and say yeah we need it to do this and they figured that out so yeah that's i, mean, I, just... I, I agree like i think that's my my gut reaction is like based on all of the air assaults that i've seen in training and in real life I don't see the Osprey doing that. And so therefore it's hard for me to imagine this other thing doing that, but you're right. Like that's part of the requirements game. Um, and then, and then we kind of get into the discussion of uh, what, what was that discussion about the, uh, the footprint, right? The footprint of a Blackhawk versus the footprint of the valor. Yeah. And I think the, the, you know, the, the, the book answer was, well, they're, they're the same. And then, you know, people are comparing the sizes are like, well, they're not the same. And it, it doesn't matter about the, 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 the imprint of the aircraft. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about the size of the area that you can reasonably get an aircraft into, which is, you know, it's not a key going into a hole. There's going to be a larger space. And so sure. I can, I can believe that they fit into the same size, but what we're talking about is the maneuver to get there. Um, yeah, it's hard for me to kind of wrap my head around. I, I believe that it can do it. I mean, I, I want to believe, I guess. Uh, but, but yeah, it's hard for me to, to visualize. Yeah. That last, I don't know, half mile when you're right. on final to get into your LZ in a formation air assault. Yeah. Like every, really everybody is like, <laughs> right. You know, but I, if I was guessing, I bet you that thing is already in helicopter mode and it can already do 120 knots. Sure. In 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 helicopter mode, it can go as fast as a Blackhawk. I'm guessing. I don't know, but yeah. it's not in fixed wing mode. It's in helicopter mode, and it's doing all the things a Blackhawk can do today, and it's doing yeah. it better. Um, and it's you know there like there's no downsides basically is what I'm guessing. Yeah, we hope. Yeah, we yeah. hope. I just thought it was cool with like the defiant and the the prop. You just reverse the prop, and that thing will just whoa, level decel. You know, you don't have to do a big flare, none of that. Just level decel, bring the helicopter down. You're on the ground. You know, the defiant is huge. Like when Enormous. I see pictures of people standing next to it, helicopter. oh my god! I didn't realize it how big. So it was. big. Yeah, it's tall, right? Yep. I mean, it's just ridiculously tall. I I think the defiant probably can't go as far 
again, I'm I'm purely I have no factual basis of opinion. Right. This is all just <laughs> purely speculation. But I don't think you could self-deploy the Defiant across Paycom right. distances like you could the Valor. Right. Yeah. Um. You you couldn't go invade Haiti with the Defiant. You might be able to with the Valor. You know. Right. I don't know. Well, well, Brad just made a good point. Like you you could probably more easily put a refueling probe on the or the uh, valor yeah as they did on the osprey but you know it's not to say that they can't do it on either i i guess i was looking at it too and and i know we we looked at that article that somebody had published or maybe even you baron had posted it but it was talking about uh the valor being selected and it was talking about a gunship version which i think was not true i think that was just the the author making a mistake um but then I, I look at the Defiant and I'm like, I can see that being a version, uh, you know, a lift version, an attack version. I can't see that with the Valor. And I know that's not necessarily the intent, but I do kind of look at these things. As, and I think Brad talked about it before we went live, like outrunning your support. Um, which yeah. Is, oh, yeah, 100%. Problematic, can be planned around. I mean, you can work around that, um, obviously, but... Because uh, the Osprey does that now. I mean, I had a guest I, two, I don't know, two episodes ago or so, and and they talked about that. Like, he, as an Osprey guy, like, yeah, they would have to launch the Harriers and the, you know, and then launch the Cobras way early and do all this stuff just to make everything match. Yeah, I remember that. Um, yep. But I, but I look at the Defiant, and I and I and then I think about the Navy with the F eighteen, and you know, regardless of people's opinions, one thing or the other, but there's some, there's some it makes sense to make everything kind of the same as much as you can from a maintenance standpoint, from a training standpoint, you know, interchangeable uh, parts and people. Uh, but you, I don't, I just don't see like an attack tilt rotor, I guess is what I'm trying to say in, in too many words. Can you guys yeah. imagine an attack tilt rotor? Is that like, that, is that a thing? Do we want you would that have to shrink thing? it way down, like yeah. way down? I mean, itty bitty. Well, just think about like all that shit hanging off the side. Like, I don't want, if I'm an attack guy, like I don't want that stuff. Like, 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 go back to the Cobra. Look how skinny that thing was when yeah. it first came out, and oh, that God. was part Can of you the appeal. Battle position operations in a tilt right. rotor with that width, yeah. the width of the nacelles <laughs> and stuff. Holy crap, dude! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not to mention, we were talking about this the other day. I was just watching some videos and stuff, but like the nature of tilt rotors when you watch the V twenty two, like the induced flow velocity right. is insane on those because the props, the rotors are, you know, 30% less diameter than a traditional helicopter. Right. So they have to right. move air faster to achieve the same result. So when a, when an Osprey flies over something and it's in helicopter mode, that thing oh, is God. tearing stuff up. Like anything you watch with the Osprey going over, uh, yeah. So, so the downflow, the downwash velocity, again, just making up numbers, but let's say it's thirty percent higher. That's significant. Like you're blowing over a lot of porta potties, <laughs> right. um, just right. just because it that is the nature of the physics of to make that thing work. So, you thought you hovering, were yeah, hovering that thing maybe is not the regime it wants to be in. It wants I'm to talking. be a fixed wing. You thought you were asleep yeah. until the lieutenant got lost and flies directly over all the tents, and all the tents then get blown over. Yeah. Well, I I Oops. was when I was up in New Jersey, I was in a Cessna, and an Osprey came in 
to Trenton to get gas, you know, doing a cross country or something. I was taxiing out and, and this Osprey taxied in the taxiway next to me. And for whatever reason, they gave him approval to launch from right there. And that I was maybe a hundred meters, uh, a beam of this Osprey and he pulled in power and took off and I'm sitting there in a Cessna and I mean, Baron, you can remember it, being in a FARP in a Kiowa with a Chinook next door. Yeah. You know, in the next pad, that's what it felt. I mean, I put all my controls into it and, and I told the guy I was with, I was like, hang on, you know, cause I was, wasn't sure we weren't going to flip over. Right. Um, so yeah, there, there's a, absolutely right. The, the, the flow that's coming out of that thing is going to be massive. Yeah. I'm your little 2,500 pound, uh, yeah. two seater. Yeah. With a high lift wing. It's, it's right. going places. <laughs> scariest, scariest environment imaginable. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think of, I was thinking about that. But, and I, again, I just kind of go back to the, like the Defiant. I was sort of surprised that they didn't pick that because one, it seemed closer to what's more familiar in, in, in regards to just a normal helicopter, um, how to fly it from a training standpoint. But then two, it's like, well, it is kind of exportable to an attack variant. Where I just I just don't see that in a tilt rotor unless unless I'm watching science fiction. I mean, it seems seems like we see all kinds of things like that, but uh, yeah, I just don't see that realistically. Keep in mind, yeah. these things are upwards of twenty five thousand pounds. They're they're big things. Like yeah, a, a Blackhawk, I think is you know twenty ish thousand pounds. Max grows some somewhere in the order of twenty two. Right. Um, and a you know Brad, what's a what's an Echo? You know nineteen max 217 something 20, like that 20,260 20, right yeah yep. so I don't know why i know that number this is one third <laughs> again as big right so yeah it as an attack platform and let's go back to how does attack operate you go from a to b but when you're at b you're probably flying at bucket speed you're you're spending most right. of your time at 50 knots and below um, because you're looking for stuff and you can't see things when you're doing 250 knots. Like right. that, that's transition speed. That is not working speed. So as per, especially for scouts and for attack, I think that's, that's a different use case. Like for an assault aircraft, if, if you want to get from A to B and deliver a lot of heavy stuff quickly, this works, but for attack, and and let's let's clarify. There is no requirement to make this. That that was a misrepresented article, right? Where yeah. somebody so this this thing that caught on like wildfire on the interwebs. Um, this is replacing the Apache. It is not. Um, right. th there is no requirement for the future long range assault aircraft to All be Apache the replacement. <laughs> yeah, the Apache pilots are they're um, what do you call it when a professor gets uh, tenure? Uh, tenure. Patch pilots are tenured till like 2050, I think. <laughs> I mean, you guys are good. We're the Army's B-52, baby. It's no big deal. <laughs> That's right. Um, but we have uh, FARA to look forward to, right? Future, um, well, officially it's called the Future Attack Reconnaissance Aircraft, which doesn't make any sense to me. I think it should be called the Future uh, Armed Reconnaissance Aircraft. But I've, I've been outvoted, and I don't have a vote. <laughs> So, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's come, you know, hopefully that program survives. Well, that might be a good transition because that's the next question and the things I wanted to talk to you guys about because we've 
we've kind of joked about this in the in the past, but uh, you know, with Ukraine going on, there's all kinds of footage uh, of aircraft and and not just helicopters. It's it's interesting to me how many times I've seen Ukraine as some sort of template of oh, it's the end of the helicopter. I'm like, you know, I've seen quite a few jets get shot down in Ukraine, quite a few. Um, and no one seems to be making any sort of, you know, videos or, or articles about it's the end of the end of the fighter jet or the attack jet. Um, yeah, but we do, we do look at some of these, uh, instances in Ukraine. I mean, what are your sort of takeaways, Brad? We'll, we'll go with you. What, I mean, when you see the, some of these things that are going on in Ukraine, when it comes to helicopters getting shot down, what, what do you go with? What are you thinking about? Um, well, rule number one, don't overfly any target ever. Um, there's, there's been a whole lot of videos of that. I remember like when this, when it first kicked off the, the big video that I remember watching, um, was in cockpit view of a K 52 and this dude flies over the top of a BTR, banks it back Mm -hmm. around, comes around and flies over the same BTR again. And then all of a sudden like starts shouting an alarm when his engine gets shot out. He's like, ah, you know, in Russian, you know, freaking out. It's like, well, well, yeah, man, you. You kind of like did the bad thing. What <laughs> what were you thinking was going to happen, you know? Why uh, me? Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's my unlucky day, you know. I don't know. Yeah. Was, yeah, don't do that for one, you know. I tell you what, man. I <laughs> if if I was a young dude looking looking forward to my 20 years flying helicopters, I'd be a little nervous. Like oh, yeah. there's so much technology out there now. Yeah. Um, and, but going back to like when I started right in the mid nineties, like we're back there now there, the threat was higher. Um, yeah. and, and I think we've forgotten a lot of, so it's, it boils down to techniques and training. Uh, I don't think the Russians are very well trained, which leads into how many helicopters being shot down, but right. That's not to say that there aren't a lot of things out there that are very bad news for helicopters. I, I have a lot of anecdotal stories about my early days as a young Kiowa warrior pilot at NTC and at Grafenvir going against mechanized forces, looking across the Valley of Death, seeing them in a TIS and getting the word to Roger uh, Task Force Sabre execute phase line texas go forth and destroy all the mechanized forces yeehaw and we unmasked and 10 seconds we were dead right (laughs) and that's because those those tanks could see us just as well as we could see them so yeah that's that's only worse today um the the end of the helicopter i don't i you know like well sorry i'm dominating the well, no, no like to your point, the uh, it, it it feels very much like the main issue is people see us as a tank, as a hammer, and it's like, nah, man, we're we're like a scalpel, <laughs> you know, we're we're to be judiciously applied in key places or whatever, right? Like, I'm not going out there to be a battering ram and bludgeon holes and like break things open. I'm going out there to blunt something or or smash somebody's face in from you know using all of my advantages and all of their disadvantages, you know, like I'm not. Hey man, it's, it's uh, age of empires or, you know, Dune two, like every force has a counter force. (laughs) Yeah. So 
your cavalry, you know, like you want to field dudes with spears if you're going after the cavalry. Um, mm -hmm. and, and our ASE equipment nowadays is way better than what we started with back the last time it mattered, which was you know, Probably, yeah. prior to 2001. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. No, I, I, I mean, I agree with, with what, both of what you're saying, and Brad, I'll, I'll, I'll make it meaner. I feel like every time I see a video of a helicopter being shot down, I can point to like, well, that was dumb. Yep. <laughs> no, I yeah. hate to say that. Well, but at the same time, I'm not on Russia's team, so uh, yeah. every time I see it, it's like you, you were dumb for doing what you just did, and it's not to say that I wouldn't have made the same mistake. People make mistakes, and you, sometimes we all get into our you know, our rhythm. And yep. I can see that like the one you're talking about, like maybe that guy had a great running angle on the target. Cause I remember it was like three or four times, um, yep. going in and maybe there's a reason that he did that, that we just don't know, but nevertheless yep. it's dumb and it results in you getting shot down. Um, or there's the one where there's the, I think it's another K 52 hovering over a tree line and getting zapped by a, an, eight, uh, anti-tank missile. Yep. Yeah. Well, pro probably not the right environment, you know, to to be doing what you were doing. Um, so they they are mistakes that are being made. You can draw a line straight back to training and employment, uh, you know, doctrine and strategy. Why well, I'm a um, I'm a bigger fan of like. In in I, I want to position my aircraft somewhere where they they have good fields of observation, which is also going to be you know to the enemy's advantage as well, but maybe I can offset that with some range. I don't know, you know, but I'm going to be patient. I need to be patient. I think that's the biggest issue that I keep seeing is dudes sure. just aren't patient. They want to go out. They, and, and I mean, to the, that's, that's a good thing. You know, if you have an attack helicopter pilot, you want that guy to be aggressive, right? But you have to temper that aggression. You know, you have to temper right. that aggression with some smarts and it's got to look, man, you got to exercise some patience. You need to just like hang out. Just wait for them to come to you. Don't go looking for them because as soon as you go looking for them, that meeting engagement is always going to be a disadvantage to you. It's it's not going well for you. Just just right. hang out, be patient. Well, wait, and we're know? and we're we're saying like the U.S. like oh we've been in coin for so long and everyone's been paying attention, and that's true. But at the same time, look at what what has Russia's experience been in the past twenty years. Yeah. Right. It's it, They've also not been having a stand up war. Right. I mean, they've been doing stuff in Syria against basically the same people we have. What was it? The, Georgia, know, Crimea. Yeah. Um, yeah. Georgia, no. Crimea. Like they they these weren't big, you know, like they weren't getting the sort of stiff resistance that they're getting now, which is probably why they rolled in with their pants down. and were just like, hey, everybody, look at us. We're in charge now. And, it you know, and it backfired because eventually that was going to happen. Um but yeah, it, it to me it's very much a training issue. It's not it's not a helicopter issue. I guess is what I'm getting yeah. at. It's not a well the, totally. the helicopter's fucking done because it's getting shot down a lot. Because <laughs> again, go back how many how many Mig 29s have been lost? How hell how many of those well, new ones? Well, I don't even, I can't even keep up with the numbers anymore. But they well, have those new to, super fighters that have been shot down. Go back to Is Vietnam, man. Was the helicopter yeah. over after Vietnam? 
because they lost right. a crap ton of helicopters in Vietnam. Oh yeah, lots and lots and lots of helicopters. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they didn't even have man pads back then until what sixty nine right. or seventy or whenever it was. Yeah. yeah, and tanks and tanks are getting their shit pushed in in, in Ukraine too. Mm-hmm. It's not the end of the tank. Well, I have at least seen people say talk about that. Like it's the end of the yeah. tank. Um, it's the end of the tank operating without supporting infantry. I will tell you that as a former tanker. Like yeah. So that's <laughs> the breakdown that I was. You uh, you gave me an opening. I was waiting for that. Um, the the real failure is. I mean, do you guys get the sense that those helicopters that we've seen shot down in videos are are they working as a combined arms maneuver team? No, I don't get that. No, not at all. Yeah, and and that's tactics and that's doctrine and uh, you know, so you can look at analysis of how they're doing business. Like they're, you know, this this is a separate long discussion, but like the the way the Russians are fighting, uh, is (laughs) kind of backwards and asinine. You know, sending tanks in without infantry support to your point, Kazma, like, um, yeah, not very good. They don't have a good NCO core. They they don't have logistics. They don't have this, that, and the other. It's the uh, one thing that that I like to point out is, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. My my opinion on reading on it and stuff like that is like Hostomel was not like the the taking seizing seizure of that airfield with the uh, with that air assault. Like it failed, but like it was one of those deals where it was a masterfully done maneuver like it was well executed they got there they did what they were supposed to do now the infantry was somewhere else and they weren't able to seize on that and relieve those forces you know but um right like it works it can be done you know and then you got to start thinking of like i don't know world war ii stuff you know ramag and market garden and all these other things you know you can do these assaults but you got to have people to get there and relieve them yeah, well, I'll go for the hat trick and mention JRTC a third time, um, it, because because I can so draw parallels to uh, the experience that every rotational unit has, right? So, so you just brought up a great point because in the beginning, you know, and again, we're going off of like YouTube videos and news reports, like we're not there, and I got that. There's other stuff going on, and we, you know, for all we know, there's a huge combined. I, there isn't, but you know, for all we know, there's this huge combined arm strategy going right, on that's just not working. Um, but in the beginning we did see like these air assaults, you know, which kind of shocked me because I'm a big proponent of like, I don't really believe in air assaults that much, like not to the extent that some people do. Like, I don't buy the, I don't buy the 101st story. Like, Oh, we're just going to air assault to victory. Well, I think you're going to air assault to yourself, get shot down. But, um, but we did see these large scale air assaults, but they weren't really against, um, you know, they weren't Con- assaults in the standpoint of like, this is a hot LZ. You yeah, know, they were assaults. It wasn't of, yeah, exactly. We're sending you to a place to, you know, which is what an air assault is. We're sending you to a place to take a piece of key terrain that isn't very well defended right now. And we're putting a lot of stuff in. Great. That's what that's good news. That's what you're supposed to do. Um, but we saw these happening. And then as the war started, like getting into like day three and day four, it's like now everyone's tired and everyone's kind of lost like the edge. And it's like, well, shit, this isn't going so well. And, and again, it just goes back to that JRTC experience where they always start off strong. Every rotational unit does like the first day. They're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to do this. And then by day three, everyone looks like ass. You know, no one's shaved. Everyone smells. And that's how I sort of picture this stuff, you know, a couple of days in an hour of shit, what, like almost a year in. And they're just like yeah. throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. And it's like, well... 
we know there's some Ukrainian dudes over there. Let's just send a couple of helicopters over there or let's just drive some tanks down the road. Um, yeah, it just seems very hodgepodge at this point. And of course, it's- then you go back to we already know that the Russian army for a great extent of it is it is, you know, uh, uh, conscripts. It's people being forced to do stuff that they don't want to do. I mean, it, we've all dealt with soldiers who do shit that don't, you know, being told to do stuff that they don't want to do. Now, now make an army of them, you know? Yeah, I, I watched or read, I, I forget how I got the information, but there were some uh, stories and anecdotes about uh, Ukrainian villages being freed from the Russian occupation and the U- Ukrainians would come back in TV crews would interview, you know, the families where the Russian soldiers were occupying their houses and whatnot. And the, you know, the 70 year old grandmother would be like, yeah, the, you know, when the Russians came in, they destroyed all the flat screen televisions because, you know, what is this black magic? we had never seen these before and space heaters <laughs> and, uh, and washing machines. Literally, I guess these conscripts are coming from the forests of, siberia or something i you know i don't know yeah they're being pulled in out of nowhere and they have no concept of what a flat screen television is or a a space heater you know that you plug into the wall and it blows hot air like they thought these things were tools of the enemy like they're they're black magic so we have to destroy them so this grandmother was telling stories about yeah they went through everywhere they f- saw a flat screen television they they would destroy it because they thought it was some sort of like spy tech um, oh, wow yeah. i yeah. hadn't heard that that's that's wow <laughs> imagine right you, like you're pulling you're pulling your conscripts out of the uh amazonian forest right <laughs> i mean it's hard it's hard for us to grasp that um yeah. And I wonder how good our intelligence is on how on the threat assessment on on how we classify uh, who we're going up against. We thought the Russian bear was pretty bad news. Turns out, you know, maybe not. Now, you never want to underestimate. I'd rather right. overestimate and be more prepared than See, there's underestimate. The, but there's the hard part, right? Because now that you've seen it, you're just kind of sitting here going, oh, Okay, well, that sucks. I guess I didn't need to yeah. train as hard as I thought I did. Well, I, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I think we all made that joke. Like, I feel cheated after my NTC rotation <laughs> exactly. because yeah. you know they made it sound right. much harder than it really appears to be. Um, yeah. So, like, imagine we hear a lot about the Chinese nowadays, right? Um, but who yeah. have the Chinese fought in the last fifty years? Nobody. Yeah, See, no they, that they, they have not. That they have dangerous? not shed blood. Like there is nobody that shed more blood than the U.S. Army, right? Yeah. There, there's yeah. some pretty some pretty hard pipe hitting motherfuckers around the the service today. Say what you want about training this and that and the other, like you know, but um, our NCO Corps is great. Uh, they know how to do mission command. They know how to take the commander's intent and make it happen, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's there's nobody as professional as we are. I don't think. Um, and the Chinese are stealing a lot of our tech. Uh, but, you know, I can say when I go to Harbor Freight and I pick up anything made in China, like it's basically a piece <laughs> of shit. It, it'll last about an hour and then it's broke. So Actually, I don't know. There you was know. a, I think it was Army University Press where they were talking about that. Like 
you you saying like they've been stealing our stuff and stuff like that made me think of uh, think of it. Um, but they were talking about the fact that like you know they've seen this sharp uptick in Chinese technological capabilities, but then as there's like nothing new that's really been invented or running around out there, like they're they've kind of plateaued and they're not really advancing anymore. So basically, they've gotten to the point you know, if, if it's to be believed where they've stolen enough stuff where they're kind of at parity, but they have nowhere else to go from that point because they got to wait for it to be invented to be able to acquire it basically. Uh, yeah. Well, I can tell you that, um, their medium lift assault helicopter looks suspiciously like a black hawk. <laughs> oh yeah. Spinning him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's got a French rotor head and then it's got a, I don't know, French tail and then everything else is US, I guess. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> well, I think I think we've kind of touched on it with the Ukraine and Russia is like it doesn't matter if you have really good stuff. If you don't know how to use it, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't matter. Like the K fifty two is not a bad aircraft. Like there's a lot of goodness there. But if you fly it like an idiot, it doesn't matter. And so I think that's kind of the issue of, of what I've heard from the Chinese standpoint of yeah they have like decent stuff that they've you know strangely it looks a lot like everyone else's stuff um but if you don't know how to use it or even more so you don't get time on it like there was a report that went out i don't know a year or so ago and it was talking about like how much stick time chinese pilots get and you know, it was an abysmal number it was incredibly small you know and i think the three of us can agree like we have pretty decent minimums and even then it's like it's not enough yeah, you know, but it, but it's a light years greater than what these other you know these other uh, potential adversaries have. Yeah, that's uh, an argument that we've made all along, right? It's not the, our minimums are better probably than the rest of the world, and it's not right. it's not minimums to proficiency; it's minimums to um, well, minimums just currency. Yeah, it's just currency. What's the yeah. what's that saying? Um, you know, you can have a thousand hours or one hour a thousand times or whatever. You know? Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's really what it is. Right. <laughs> that's, that's all it is. I'll tell you, going back to the videos, when I, when I saw the video of, I don't know if it was a MI 24 or, or a shark or what it was, but when, when they lobbed those two pods of rockets just out into space, like they did this, this super elevation maneuver and just ripple fired, like 50 oh, yeah. rockets out into who knows where that was going, but um, saturating a grid square, which you could argue like that's what rockets are for in a sense. Like they're sure. just creating chaos out there. I know. Well, especially how they, their, do their doctrine. I mean, that leads towards that. So yeah. Yeah. But I would never in my wildest dream, like say I got two pods of rockets. I'm just going to nose it up and, like let her rip, man. I don't know what's out there. You know, <laughs> you're not you're not hitting anything. And then you know, up oh, I'm Winchester. Got to go back. Yeah, crazy. Well, and, and that's that whole like to us, it's alien. They they no doubt took off with that in mind. Like you're gonna yeah. fly to this point. You're gonna you're gonna elevate to 30 degrees nose high, and you're gonna punch off, and then you're gonna come home and do it again. You know, and we don't give a shit what's over there. Like that's completely alien to us. We would never. I I, I, I really I can't imagine hope, any scenario where we do that. I hope they have a little bit more sophistication than just like point 
lob and then go. Like I, I hope that like they plugged some stuff in, maybe <laughs> did some analysis. It was like, all right, yeah, so we do this, right. and then we just do like shoot, map you know? applies. <laughs> you know, I would imagine it's like map analysis. Like, like I mean, you, you, and, and let's not act like Ukraine's not doing it too, because there's been plenty of videos of Ukrainian MI8s oh, yeah. doing that. But the damn MI8 ain't got no special like Gwiz, you know, computer no, that's doesn't. doing that shit for them. They're they're mm-hmm. looking at a map. They're doing, you know battlefield trigonometry and shit and they're figuring out okay from this spot <laughs> if we shoot rockets at this angle they should go about this far and the wind yeah. is from the north so we're gonna we're gonna offset it by five degrees and hopefully this lands roughly where the russians are um i mean yeah. if if i was cw2 romanovsky and my mission was <laughs> to go attack the enemy at at um kiev or whatever uh here here's your th- 38 rockets or whatever it is, 76 rockets go forth and do great things. Me, CW2 Romanovsky, it like, I'm just going to fly to point a and launch those suckers off into space. And then I'm going to turn around and say, I've done my job. I'm not yeah, really interested it. in success. <laughs> no, I'm just, I was told to do this and that's what I did. Yeah. Given the environment you're operating in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. <laughs> success it makes absolute is, I'm I mean, alive. <laughs> you know? it's poor man's artillery i mean that's what it is right i mean it's it's yeah. really no different than pointing guns up in the sky and shooting you know 10 kilometers that direction and hoping it lands in the right spot um but yeah but but it's on the other side of that so we talked about the failure of helicopters in the, in the eyes of the public um at the same time we've had these successes right so there was uh, several months ago this like mysterious overnight raid with like Ukrainian Heinz or something. And they, they flew into Russia and like blew up a, I don't know, like an ammo facility or something like, you remember that you guys? Remember yeah. That? Yeah. That was actually really cool. I was surprised by that. Cause yeah. I mean, Holy cow. In yeah, a Heinz, was, yeah. Like, geez, man. <laughs> I right. kind of wow. remember that. I, I'm remembering some other thing where there were like, insert, um, I don't know what you call them. They were, uh, uh, behind the enemy lines, sort of types that planted bombs at some airfield or something. Maybe I'm conflating um, two different uh, things. I'm, gonna, I'm not I'm sure about that, that one. Uh, anyway, but but yeah, I remember the hind going deep. Though. I'm curious. And of course, we it. had the uh, who was the who was the mythical um, Gundam fighter pilot? The oh, the Ukrainian the Gundam fighter pilot. Yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> <laughs> at the very um, beginning the ghost that's some good yeah that's some good propaganda right there ghost of kiev yeah all which, i know is there were a lot like, of dcs and they're like no he's not well there were a lot of dcs and and uh arma videos fake videos you know k52 yeah. gets shot down i'm like that's the rhs k52 that's <laughs> that's arma yeah <laughs> like <laughs> yeah i see that a lot on youtube there's a lot of yeah, it's wild. Um, yeah, I was trying to find that story about the, the the strike. And I think it's happened multiple times now that I think about it. I think it's happened a few times. But um, yeah, I, I, I guess fundamentally what I'm saying is I think it's silly for anyone to look at the situation in Ukraine and draw a conclusion. They're like, well, helicopters are, are done here. Yeah. Um, there's not a place for them. There's not a place for anything if you don't use it right. Yeah, if yeah. you train again, how many tanks have I seen destroyed by you know some some freaking toy 
UAV that's dropping a hand grenade down the the hatch. You know. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I mean, shit. Russians were strapping bombs on dogs and teaching them to go underneath tanks in World War II, and yet somehow we still have tanks. So, so the idea here fundamentally is that equipment—it's not necessarily that it goes bad, where it's it's just no longer viable. Um, obviously, you got to keep up with technology, but training and how you employ it is is really what's important. And right now, the lesson learned is don't employ it like Russians. <laughs> well, so <laughs> yeah, here, here's a hypothetical question what do you think the ukrainians could do if we gave them a battalion of apaches i would say with the lessons learned their their lessons learned to date they could probably do some serious damage like i think it would be i, I if you want a nuke that's how you get a nuke would be my my gut level reaction <laughs> just because uh, yeah. i i think it would be pretty pretty effective how do you think it would take? How long do you think it would take to train those guys? That's that's my point. You you're giving them something that's very different than what they're used to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the good news because, is the aircraft is pretty user friendly, though. You know, like. Well, it is, but the employment of it is very different than how you would employ what they have, right? Which this is Heinz yeah. and MI8s, and so. It, it's, it's not that it's hard or easy to use. Yeah, exactly. It's like you, if you tried to use the Apache the way that you use these other things, you would not be as successful and, and vice would, versa, right? Like the right thing would be not just send them through the, the AQC and kick them out the door. It would be send them through the AQC and send them to a training center or something and then right. you know, let them kind of get some experience with it and then send them on their merry way, you know? Because um, it, you're, it, it is different, like very different uh, yeah. employment well, methods. Well, because they were both designed to do very different things. You know, we're seeing the Hind and the the MI8 uh, doing what it was designed to do, which is yep. just to throw throw shit at stuff, mm -hmm. just almost almost randomly. You know, it's like just lob rockets at this wood line because that's where we think bad guys are. And the Apache was not designed to do that. And the Apache is expensive and hard to maintain. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, I wonder, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, in a couple of years from now, like, presuming that things work out in Ukraine's favor, which, you know, correlates to <laughs> our favor, um, that the Ukrainians wouldn't be offered a low interest payment plan for a battalion of apaches <laughs> so you know you yeah. can pay these off over the next 30 years here you go yeah no i wouldn't be surprised i mean and then that just goes back to the whole conversation of nato and expansions and, and all that stuff yeah yeah um no i yeah i i think we're all on the same page that it's there's nothing going on here that's necessarily new it, it looks different but it's not new and just, and just like brad said i mean vietnam you lost a ton of helicopters you also lost a ton of jets hell i was just listening to another podcast recently and they were talking about how many jets we lost in vietnam to anti-aircraft fire versus from sams versus from maintenance and and accidents um you know gobs of of stuff yeah. Um, and, and there's really no difference here. The difference is the, I think one, on one hand, the distant, the, the, the space involved, 
like Ukraine's not a small country, but the area that these things are happening is still relatively small. Um, and then I think just the ferocity of it, like there's just so much crammed into that small amount of space. I mean, I'm still amazed that there's even like jets flying around the way that they are. Like, I mean, given missiles, the, the, the range that Sam's have these days, like how are they even like getting up in the air without just immediately having telephone poles launched at them? You know, that's well, the I mean, part I still the, can't understand. They got the, the hybrid harm launchers on the MiG-29, so I'm sure that's helped them out quite a bit too. Yeah, I don't know. That's wild. It, it it there's a lot of things that I look at this and I would have never imagined it. Um the drone stuff. Like and I've been a big proponent of like, yeah, drones are gonna be a game changer. I'm still shocked at how much drone warfare is not just happening in this, but is being so effective. That uh Bioactar yeah. song's pretty legit. It well, it's it, strange though, to me that you, know? you can have a large size drone dropping shit on an SA-15. Like, isn't that kind of like what the SA-15 is there to stop? <laughs> you know, like, it's like, how did you not see <laughs> the drone overhead? I don't understand. So these are the things that I just can't wrap my head around. And and it's the uh, the merging of the commercial space with the military space. So, you know, back in the yeah. old days, those were two distinctly separate things. Like, you didn't use commercial hardware, right. yeah, yeah. so to speak, in military operations. Because... Back 80s, 90s, you know, they worried about EMI hardening and all these other, like, military grade had a meaning. And then the right. coin war, the coin years came in and, you know, we were using Garmin handheld GPS. And the technology wasn't really a factor except when it was in our favor. Right. Um, and now there's no counter. Like, you can just launch a little uh, a DJ, what is it, the DJ Mavic, DJ... Anyway, the commercial drone, and th there is no counter to it. Like, we're working right. on those things, the direct energy stuff and the nets and, you know, whatever the solution is. But the commercial space, the commercial technology has invaded the military space effectively, where you can drop little hand grenades down the turret of a, um, a BMP with impunity because there's nothing that can shoot that little... Uh, right three foot diameter drone down unless you, know, you visually see it free one day shipping going for ukraine now <laughs> yeah <laughs> well because because necessity is the mother of invention right so when when the war is not actually happening then yeah you look at the procurement process and you're like oh well it needs to be able to do this it needs to have portholes it needs to uh you know, have EMI hardening, all this stuff. And then when it like stuff's really going down, it's like, well, we need a solution yesterday. What can we do? What can we find on Amazon? Okay. Yep. Let's use that. Cause you yeah. don't care about all those other things. You just care about, will it drop a bomb down the, the poop shoot of a of BMP? Yeah. Let's do that right now. Um, Is it cheap and plentiful? So yeah. And it costs right, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And who, and can, you know, the window liquor over there, can he use it effectively? Uh, or do I need like a special nine month training program? And, and you would hope that maybe coming out of this, like our procurement process would, would look at things a little bit differently. I'm sure it won't, but um, I don't know. Well, that's, there's a paradigm shift happening. We'll see if it actually plays out, but yeah. um, leveraging, you know, the, the West is really good at coming up with new, new things, new technology, new ideas, new concepts. Um, and I think the East, not 
not so much. The East just takes what they find and maybe makes it cheaper and more efficient and better in certain senses. Um, I wonder what the Chinese are doing in terms of game-changing doctrine, game-changing concepts of fighting. Uh, cyber, of course, is the one that scares us yeah. all because they could, right. you know, flip flip a bank of red switches and the East Coast shuts down, you know? Yeah. Yeah, in all honesty, those are the things I worry about. Like, I don't worry about, like, the shooting war type stuff. Yeah. Because I, I think it just, it with technology being what it is, I think it becomes a stalemate pretty early on, just like we're seeing here. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm more worried about who turns off everything. <laughs> Well, it, it couldn't it even be something as innocuous as not to go down like conspiracy rabbit hole, but like TikTok. You know, like can I can I disrupt and destroy your society with something as innocuous as this this goofy little app? You know, um, right? Just spread spread all kinds of crazy ideas with with that kind of an app. You know, and so hate and discontent. I think there are more than one way. There's more than one way, especially now. Like I don't. I'm not. I mean, I'm worried that someone could shut down the power grid or whatever. I mean, that's that's a thing. But I'm more worried about doing people doing more insidious things through more sideways means uh, than direct. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. Well, and I think if we're gonna go down the rabbit hole of like real threats, that's that's the Chinese threat, as I consider it. It's not it's not a, a shooting threat. It's the those other societies, Eastern societies, play the long game. Yes. And we don't, right? We do the news cycle. Um, and so if you're committed to doing, just like you said, where, okay, we're going to spend the next 50 years eroding this other, you know, our adversary through very uh, insidious but innocuous means. Yeah, that is a long, that is a threat because we just, we're not smart enough. We're not like in the, in the moment enough to, uh, to recognize that and do something about it. Well, and if you point it out, you're looked at as weird or paranoid or whatever. You know, it's like, ah, nah, it's, you're just being silly. Oh, well, okay. Give it 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then it's too late. Right. So. Yep. No, absolutely. This has gone down okay. a dark hole. I know. This is, yeah. Let's talk about <laughs> something fun like magic. <laughs> We're talking about helicopters and stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Well, they're they're over anyway. They're done with. So that's yeah. right. Yeah. The internet says irrelevant. So. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I got <laughs> well, out when I did. Yeah, I got mine. Well, I mean, to go back to that, I mean, I guess the one thing, and Brad and I, I think, have talked about this. Um, you know, I I do worry like direct energy weapons, like when that's like a real thing. Yeah. They already exist, but when they're like really really good like that's gonna be the huge game changer when it comes to not just helicopters but anything that flies that's that's what i think yeah that so like segueing from for instance like the chinese to like the iranians right um i i just saw it was a new fighter or a new helicopter or something I, I forget what the thing was but the the advertised capabilities of this new platform that uh they were saying it could do I think it was, oh, it was a Chinese, yeah, it was a Chinese Gray Eagle, basically, or Predator. This thing could fly 10,000 miles at 50,000 feet and only burn 100 pounds of gas. And it had it had a, a picture of it, the hard points on it. This thing had more weapons carrying capability than an A-10. And the spec sheet that they listed with 
this is what we just fielded was it can fly for 24 hours um its max gross weight is 2400 pounds or something like okay <laughs> so it was just all nonsensical bullshit um and it only burned through you know 200 pounds of gas while doing all that stuff so there's a concerted effort to just um provide information out to the world to make it's an io campaign an information operations right. campaign like yeah and and the I Iranians mean, are doing it too. Like Bohiko will love this. Like the Shahid is, you know, a very real thing. Um, I'm not scared of the Shahid, uh, or or really anything that the Iranians are doing, except for those drones, and they're buying those off of um, eBay or or Alibaba or something. You know. I mean, I just got to think that they got to be careful though, because the last time that kind of an I/O campaign. Um, kind of went sideways for the for the adversary was with you know the whole F fifteen thing right <laughs> the MiG twenty five comes out and everyone's like oh my god look at this thing it's phenomenal and then we built like the best aircraft on the planet so I mean they can they can keep throwing out stuff like that but Americans tend to take that as a challenge and an affront to uh, our ability yeah oh that's a know? great point like, like bro yeah be careful you know right yeah yeah we're gonna get scared enough to spend real money and yeah, right. <laughs> and figure out a counter so yeah, yeah. and point. and and that's how you get the valor <laughs> and, uh, and we brought it full circle that's right we bring you the valor <laughs> which we, we now have names. we now have the solution to a problem we're looking for <laughs> are, are they gonna are they gonna rename it though like i don't yeah probably it's gonna be it's gonna be the I'm out of Indian names, but whatever, whatever, Native you know, American. tribe hasn't been used yet. Yeah. Native American. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> nation. Um, yeah. I, I was just curious if they were going to, if we were going to continue down that, that road. Can they uh, use the ones that they haven't, you know, that they originally proposed and have just been abject failures. You know, we had Cheyenne, Comanche, Arapaho, like those are all still available technically. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure there's any rules. Yeah. Just kind of do whatever we want. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. Um, I'm just waiting for it to be militarized because I think these designs, like, I, and another reason I don't like them is they're too smooth. Like, they just, you know, they're like, they look like they're just concept sketches. Like, okay, now put all the bumps and, and warts on them that I'm used to seeing on anything that's military. Yeah. Then maybe need, I'll like um, them more. We need two uh, CMOS blisters on each side and a, a Turcum's top yeah. and bottom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> APR 39 antennas everywhere. Yeah. Whatever payload you planned on having needs to be eaten up by a bunch of other stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. That's really, that's really what needs to happen. Save, save what you really need to the end because we're going to fill it up with all this other stuff. Well, so maybe to, maybe to bring this discussion to a conclusion since we've gone full circle and we're back to the valor and we're talking, let's, let's talk about Farah real quick. Okay. So, so if you guys, you know, the two offerings, the FARA program, the future attack reconnaissance aircraft, which is slated to replace the Kiowa warrior. Um, Bell's offering is the uh, 360 Invictus, which is kind of a traditional helicopter with a tail rotor. Um, and then Sikorsky in the vein of, their SB-1 Defiant, which is also a coax with a pusher prop, but 
uh, half the size and weight. So what do y'all think about those two? Well, I'm already all in on the coaxial pusher. I mean, there's, there's no contest for me. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm kind of in the same vein. I like it. Just because, like, I, I mean, again, I feel like that is the it, future. Yeah. Like, it's safer to go with the Invictus, you know, because it's, it's proven. We, we know that works. Um, but I think just from the standpoint of being able to better conduct reconnaissance and really get moving fast and get stopped fast and all that kind of stuff, like, holy crap, the, the, uh, Raider, my opinion, I mean, I think it's awesome, you know? Yeah. Well, I think Brian brought it up. Like now we have this, the V280, which can go 300 knots. Uh, it's going to be awfully lonely when it's sprinting out into enemy territory without anything to escort it, unless you launch it two hours before it gets there. So right. there's going to have to be some sort of platform that can keep up with it uh, yeah, for I security. Yeah, I don't doing that so much. Yeah, I'm just I'm just interested to see what the training like. I honestly, you know, I'm so agnostic to to what's picked and and what's better. I just I just hope that the training matches it right. So again, to go back to my guest who was here with the Osprey, and he talked about like the training just didn't change, right? And so they're they're still doing these uh, ship to shore assaults with their Osprey. And they're only oh, yeah. like you know thirty miles away, and he's like, we don't even have time to to do anything because it, that's nothing to us. And I think about the training centers, and I think about home station training. Like, you know, I have some pretty like negative thoughts when it comes to military leadership and being creative and training, and I just don't see that happening very fast. I see people being very stuck in their ways of, well, this is how we did it when I was a lieutenant. Well, general, it's time for you to recognize that everything is new. And we need to do it a little bit differently. And so yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see how that morphs and changes because, you know, we tried it. We tried it at JRTC and have guys, you know, do these penalty routes to add time and distance. And it never survives the ground force commander complaining that there's not helicopters overhead making noise. So hopefully whatever they come up with, they come up with a way to train air crews to properly use that equipment. Yeah, it'll be interesting because there's a lot of transformational stuff we're looking at. Um, things like things like air launched effects uh which is the third leg of these you know you have the the mm -hmm. assault aircraft that can go really far really fast and then you have the the attack reconnaissance aircraft that can do great new things and then the other sort of unspoken part of that is these um on the on the drone idea launch these small vehicles out and that are going to be able to do have a lot of capabilities that mesh with what the attack reconnaissance aircraft does which is really the point of fara um right. not necessarily do everything itself and we we've heard this mantra before comanche was the quarterback of the battlefield and all that you know and yeah. me personally i think it that's a lot to ask of those two poor dudes you know sitting in the <laughs> cockpit trying to manage a brigade battle space all on their own like we we have to relearn this lesson every 20 years uh we'll I'm be curious to see where it goes and how it happens. Technology is a lot different, you know, than it was when we were first getting into the game. Um, yeah. But I've seen, I've seen uh, great ideas come and go, and we always go back to pen and pencil on a kneeboard, writing stuff down, and talking on a radio. Uh, 
Uh, and I think ultimately that's what fighting is about. You can leverage a lot of technology, but it always comes down to the people. I find myself right. pivoting more and more towards go back to paper. It doesn't fail. Like, it just doesn't. Yeah. Fail. Like, you know, acetate and, and yeah, absolutely. Acetate some, some markers and a little bit of alcohol. You're good. You're good. Well, it makes me think of the conversation I had today. We were flying back from Cuba and the captain I was with, he he spent some time flying Airbuses, which are very automated aircraft. Yeah. And and he was talking about how when he went through Airbus training years and years ago, you know, he he went to uh, he was getting trained from people who like built the, the Airbus. And so they're very proud of it and stuff. And when he asked about stalls and they're like, oh, the Airbus doesn't stall. <laughs> well until it they does do. right i mean it's an airplane so of course it can stall um and then ask air france because they stalled one out and you know killed everybody on board um and so it's it, at the end of the day and he and he you know he's an older guy um older than us and he just made that comment he's like you know we're making pilots that are push button pilots we don't have pilots who can hand fly these aircraft he's like and it's easy to take a, a hand flying pilot and teach him how to push the buttons it is very hard to take a push button pilot and teach them how to hand fly stuff like it, it yep. takes time and it takes experience. And so I, I just, and we talked about training cause his son-in-law is actually uh, at Rucker. Um, uh, I think, I think he said next week he, he uh, selects for whatever aircraft he's going to get, but he um, makes the right choice. Yeah. Well, he was, he wants C12s. So there's no, only, he's uh, all right. <laughs> all right. He's, he's playing the long game. Yeah. He's playing the long game. Exactly. 100%. I mean, his father was an airline pilot. So, um, but, uh, but we talked about that. We talked about the training we talked about, you know, he was like, well, what did you fly in, in flight school? I was like, well, you know, I flew the, the, the bell, but you know, now these guys are flying, uh, the, uh, the Lakota, and we got into the discussion of, you know, what's a good training aircraft and what, what do you need people to learn and stuff? And yeah, I don't know. It's just frustrating. Cause I, I agree with you because we've had all those, those G whiz gadgets. And at the end of the day, either it breaks or you just flat out can't apply it quickly enough. Yeah. Right. It's just, it's just not something that's conducive for the environment that you're in. Fuck it. I'm taking a pen and paper and I'm doing this, you know, whatever. And, you know, or I'm doing it old school. I'm, I'm doing it over the radio and I'm not trying to use all these fancy machines to tell me where shit is. So, yeah, I don't know. It just always seems to devolve that way. And yeah. I don't see it changing. Right. Me neither. I'm a skeptic in that way. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. And I'm a huge technology nerd, man. Like I'm the guy that's yeah. going to force somebody to use a piece of technology because it's on the aircraft. However, yeah. it it's never worked out. Like the right. way it's intended. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm conscious that I sound like, you know, that we sound like old men yelling at clouds right now. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Never we'll be that way. But yep. I mean, all of our experience points us in that direction. And I don't know. It's hard. But I'll say this though, cause I've, I've kind of like having flown the Lakota and all that kind of stuff and, and done IP stuff in the Lakota and whatnot. Like, you know, I had, I had the opinion, like, you know, it's, it's kind of not a great trainer. That's just, that's, that was my opinion. Right. Um, right. but then I had the opportunity, you know, doing, doing what I do on the daily to fly with some folks that also use that as their primary trainer. And it's a night and day difference. Now, some of that is ours. Some of it is ours. I get a little more hours. Um, but, but the huge key differences between them and us came down to 
a huge chunk of their time was flown without an instructor pilot in the helicopter. When they when they mm-hmm. get out of Apache school and they go off to to their version of Apache school to you know get trained up in their country's ways of doing stuff, um, they're going to do a lot of that time without an instructor pilot in that helicopter. It's going to be two students in an Apache going out and doing work. Right? Um, their culminating exercise is a two ship, four student led mission. So I got to thinking about it. Maybe it's not the aircraft. Maybe it's just the way we treat our students. We never give them the keys to the car and say, go. I mean, we do once. They get one flight, right? Um, But you don't learn anything, you know? Like, I was like, what, 900, almost 1,000 hours when I made pilot command and went out and flew the helicopter by myself without anyone else there to help me now you know we always like stack the deck you go fly with the most experienced pi and all that kind of stuff or maybe another pc for a little bit um but you know like absolutely insane that it took that long to finally be able to fly that helicopter by myself you know um and i think uh i think that's the shift that needs to happen like dudes need to go out there and they need to be able to fly by themselves and if we can't trust them enough to fly by themselves and do the right thing, then they probably shouldn't be in flight school. That's another difficult conversation. <laughs> but, you know. Well, yeah. Gosh. Um, yeah. So. Whole new can of worms. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll leave it there. For the next we'll leave one. it there. Yeah. Yep. Save it. <laughs> That'll be a good one. We'll have to get nice and drunk for that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. So my, my thoughts and opinions on, on that airframe as a trainer have changed. Um, and I think that we can leverage it just fine. Um, but we also have to do that other that next step and actually like teach the systems, because um, I still got guys in Apaches that don't know how to work the the stinking force trim, you know. Um, and they're like, "Well, well, what's it doing for me?" It's like, "Well, it's doing this and that." I still don't get it. It's like, "Well, I, all right, come on, <laughs> let's go, let's go draw this out again," you know. Um, right. So, like, just well, little things. I like mean, that. essentially, what you're saying is the same thing we said about the Russian Ukraine experience. Like it, it doesn't matter how good your equipment is if you don't know how to use it and, yeah. and it's how you use it. So mm-hmm. training, if we we're still trying to apply an old training method to a new type of aircraft or a, a new, you know, environment. So, yep. Well, I think we could probably wrap it up there. Uh, I know we've jumped all over the map and it's been incoherent as shit, but I mean, at the same time, I think it's been fun and we've touched on the things that we wanted to talk about. If uh, I take we, nothing else away from tonight, it's that the helicopter still has a place in the world. Yes. Yeah. I I think it's foolish to think otherwise. <laughs> yep. And, and that's my complete personal bias. Uh, <laughs> take that, Internet. Take that, Internet. Now you've been warned. All right. Well, we will wrap it up there. Thanks, guys, for uh, taking time on a Sunday night. I know it's uh, low energy. Next time, we'll try to do it during the day when we're, because we're old now, and we we go to sleep. We eat we eat dinner at four o'clock in the afternoon. Hey, I took a nine. nap today, so I'm I am I am good. <laughs> I am doing well. Nothing says young man like taking a nap <laughs> on a weekend. <laughs> That's right. Because you can. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's been a while. Good to be back on uh, yeah. this is fun. Casmo's world, you know? Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll do some more stuff. Um, all right. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. See, See you. All right.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.